Hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother gave a wife for him from Egypt. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and our word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm-mm-mm. Brothers and sisters in Christ, laughter is a funny thing. Yeah, pun intended, I know. <laughs> But it can, ex it can express untold joy, right? Or it can reveal a heart of scorn and mockery. It's a different kind of laughter, isn't it? Well, some of us may recall when we looked at Genesis 16 and 17, we saw it was also filled with different kinds of laughter. We saw that there was a laughter of faith, there was a laughter of doubt, and then there was the laughter of grace. We always know God gets the last laugh. And yes, God does laugh. I'm going to digress for a moment. I remember when I was young in the Lord, 
and I, there was this real, now I don't like pictures of Jesus, probably because of my background, I kind of react against that, you know what I mean, because who knows what he really looked like, and we get into all the, I want to get into that, but anyway, there was one picture I actually liked, and it was of Jesus laughing, it just had his head back in this belly laugh, and I remember some of my fellow religious friends thought, nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus laughed. I said, really? I said, so now you're a docetist. Anyway, that means you don't believe Jesus was fully human. Yeah, he's fully human. He laughed, he cried, he slept, he ate. He did other things we have to do. But the Bible doesn't tell us that, but we know he did, amen? But we also know he's the second person of the Holy Trinity. And we see that God laughs. Because Isaac means... Not Isaac laughs, not Abraham laughs, you know what it means? He laughs. It's God saying, <laughs> you thought you were going to get a son for yourself in your own power, didn't you? You know, he became southern for a moment, our Lord, and he said, he said bless your heart. In other words, you mope. God laughs at the plans of man. It's, you want to hear God laugh? Tell him your plans. Right? <laughs> Well, in chapter 21, again, we have the idea of laughter, and it dominates the whole chapter. This time it comes from a different angle. We've got to see this. It's a contrast between laughing. Listen, I want to make it simple for us so we won't be here too long. Um, it's a difference between laughing with someone and laughing at someone. And th those are worlds apart. Worlds apart. The one is an expression of joyful faith as we'll see in a moment, and the other is an expression of unbelieving rejection. The one is inspired by the faithfulness and the goodness of God, and the other comes from sinful human nature that relies on its own strength and resources and refuses to trust in God's miraculous work of his grace to save with his own hand by grace alone. Well, in the very first book of the Bible, we are confronted with the, the real divide between the human race. What divides us all into one or another camp. There's only two camps. And it ain't male and female. It ain't light skin and dark skin. It ain't rich and poor. It's not even Jew or Gentile. And listen, it's not Republican or Democrat. One more. It's not even between good and bad. You know why? Because we're all bad. And we're in desperate need of a savior. So what's the great divide? The divide is this. It's between those who laugh along with the son of God who was born in a miraculous way by a virgin. And those who laugh at the Son of God, who gave his life for wicked sinners, and who, by the way, on the third day, rose again and said, Death, you ain't nothing but a thing. You can't hold me down. He was born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might, what, receive the full rights of Son, Galatians 4, 5. And if that doesn't make you leap for joy, I don't know what will. So this morning, we're only going to have time to focus on the first two scenes of this chapter, mainly 
I might refer in passing to a few of the verses about where Ishmael sent away, but mainly we're going to focus, focus on those first two paragraphs where we're going to see two things. I kept it to two points this morning. The laughter of joyful faith and the laughter of scornful unbelief. Let's take a look at the first one. The laughter of joyful faith. Let's look at the first couple of verses. Powerful verses, by the way. It was hard for me to get past them. I almost thought, well, maybe that's one sermon right here. <laughs> now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Now you've got to remember, this is what they have been waiting for for like 30 years. You've got to remember, Sarah herself is about 90 years old. Yeah, try to picture that in your mind. A pregnant 90-year-old. Yeah, not, not necessarily a great picture in your mind, but a glorious gift from God. Amen? But I, I, don't want, I want you to see something. I'm going to read it again. I want you to, I'm going to do some emphasis here. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah bore a son to Abraham at the very time God had promised him. Hmm, you think Moses wants us to see something here? I have a feeling he's doing this so that, and the Holy Spirit's doing it through Moses here, that it would be impossible to miss this super important point that is just as relevant to us today as it was back then. Our God keeps his promises. He does exactly what he says. Now listen, why is this so important? I'll tell you, it's tremendously great news for hopeless sinners like Lot. Maybe you were with us when we looked at Lot's messed up life. And we saw how all that God had to go through to rescue him from the judgment of Sodom. And as messed up as his life was and as sad as it was, God still saved him. And the New Testament calls him a righteous man. Man, that's a sermon for another day. We know it's really great news for inconsistent saints like Sarah. Who gave in to impatience and doubt and told Abraham to take her maidservant. Because, you know, she needed to help God, God along to keep his promise. God wasn't capable of fulfilling his promise his way. So she had to, come on, let, let's help God along. Well, it's good news that God does what he says and keeps his promises. And, you know, it's important. I think now, now it all comes together when we look at Abraham. You remember how we see sometimes that great stalwart of the faith, the father of all who believed. Man, Abraham was a great example of faith. But man, he had some big lows, didn't he? Like kind of trying to pass his wife off as his sister. And then putting her in a compromising situation. So I'll tell you, thank God for his grace and that he's faithful. Because Abraham would have been lost too. And it's great news for me and you who have failed our God more times than we would like to even admit to, admit to ourselves. You know, what this says to us, even these first three verses, God is faithful. He keeps his word. And listen, brothers and sisters, this is the one that we still have a hard time learning. He's always right on time. How often we're like, God, you're too late. God's like, you just didn't wait. 
It wasn't ripe. It wasn't time. You need to trust me. It's like, wait for it. Wait for it. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 2.13. 2 I always read this verse and I was always perplexed by it. But after really going through Genesis, the lights finally went on. Because I kind of didn't like what it meant. But now I'm so thankful for it. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself. We are failures. There's not a one of us here who can say we've done it. We've kept the law. We fulfilled God's righteousness. And we did it our way. You know, that whole Frank Sinatra, I know he's Italian-American. I know my people love singing this. I did it my... Well, boy, that's not good. Because your way leads to the place I don't want to go. Can I get an amen? Amen. I don't want you to miss this. What makes Sarah... And all who later she talks about will, re- will rejoice with her and laugh with her. What makes them laugh with that joyful faith? And we'll look a little bit more into that in a couple moments, but I want to say it right now. Let's know what all the hubbub is, what all the laughter is about. It's the fact that God miraculously fulfilled his promise when all hope was gone. When all human hope was lost. There was absolutely no hope that they were going to have a child on their own. It just wasn't. It's not that it was going to, would be extremely difficult. It would be impossible. And that's probably one Italian word you could figure out. <laughs> impossible. But later on in the New Testament, it's Jesus who says, with man, this is what? Impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Even that 90-year-old woman whose womb is shot can give birth to a promised son and give hope to a nation and then literally the world. Huh. Sarah says, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would, have, would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. What's God teaching here? He's teaching a lesson that goes from literally this first book of the Bible to Revelation. Salvation is from the Lord. It's not from you. It's not from me. It's not even from the Apostle Paul. He knew that. Not from Abraham. It's from the Lord. In other words, why did God wait until it was pretty much over? Because he wanted to show that only he could pull it off. Remember when Lazarus was dead? Remember that, right? And they all were like, why did you wait? If you would have come when he was still sick, he would have never died. Jesus had other things in mind, didn't he? I need to show you a little something. And he said, oh, by the way, after four days, Lazarus, what? Come forth. Let's just say everybody was a little freaked out that day. Because they saw God in the flesh do what only God can do. And I always love that statement. Good thing he said Lazarus. You know what I mean, do you? 
Everybody would have come out of the grave if he just would have said, come forth. No, no, not yet, not yet. Sorry, it's just true. When are we ever going to learn this, though, brothers and sisters in Christ? That's right, I'm not talking to non-believers. I'm talking to my brothers and sisters. Because I know you and you know me. We need to remember that when all seems lost, when present circumstances look bleak, and there's, you know, it's like, I can't see a light. I can't tell you how many times in my counseling. I, but, but, Pastor, I can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And this passage says, good. Now maybe you look to the light, not at the end of the tunnel but the light that rose from the grave and is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding. God always does what he says. Just read the Gospels. How many times are the disciples rebuked for not fully believing in God's promises? It, it's, it, another thing, it's comical, right? There's more laughter. When you read the Gospels, it is funny when you watch Jesus and his disciples interact. We just celebrated Easter. Our Lord's triumph of victory over the grave. And we always like to say, every Lord's Day, we're, we're celebrating Jesus' resurrection. Amen? You know, it's not just Easter Sunday. We got to wear these funky hats and color eggs. No, man. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day. And we are here to rejoice and say, He rose. He is risen. He is risen. All right. It's not, that's what I'm saying. It's not just on Easter. Amen? Well, what happened that first Resurrection morning. Jesus said on a number of occasions, what, the Son of Man must suffer and die, and then on the third day he must rise again from the dead. Right? But where do we find the women nosing around for Jesus after his crucifixion? The tomb. And what do we read there? We read this in Luke 24. We have, I'm sorry, uh, where is it? Oops, I skipped. Matthew 28, verse 6. The angels say to them this. I love this. How would you like to be rebuked by an angel? You know? He's not here. He has risen. And then what's the next phrase? Just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. <laughs> Just as he said. What about the two disciples? They're walking on the road to Emmaus. I love this picture. And they're kept from um, seeing who Jesus really is. And Jesus is talking with them, the risen Christ. And they're talking about, yeah, they're starting to tell them about what happened in Jerusalem, how this Jesus was crucified. And then downheartedly, they made a little mistake here, by the way. They downheartedly say to Jesus, listen, can you imagine Jesus hearing this? We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. <laughs> oh, when I see that, I just kind of brace myself like, ooh, what's going to happen? And Jesus doesn't uh, uh, disappoint. This is what he says to them. How foolish you are. <laughs> and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Oh, ye of little faith. And Jesus doesn't say that to pagans. He says it to believers. Good thing we only need a mustard seed. You know what I'm saying? All right. Marcus Dobbs says this. I love the way he puts this. Never met the guy in my life, but man, he says it well. From God's perspective, he says it this way. I am the almighty God, able to fulfill your highest hopes and accomplish for you the brightest ideal that ever my words set before you. 
There is no need of paring down the promise until it squares with human probabilities. No need of relinquishing one hope it has begotten. No need of adopting some interpretation of it which may make it seem easier to fulfill. And no need of striving to fulfill it in any second-rate way. All possibility lies in this. I am the Almighty God. We sing a song here that actually um, Aaron Palermo taught us. And it's called, Oh Lord, You're Good. And it's not my normal musical taste, so it kind of freaks my, my wife out a little bit. She's like, I don't see what you, why you like that song? Because it's not my normal music that I would listen to in the car kind of thing. But I'm going to tell you why I love singing this song. Here's the line. Here's a, the first line. You never change. It's singing to God. You never change. You stay the same. Yesterday, today, forever. You are faithful all the time. But this, that's not, that's awesome. But here's the one that there's this deep chord inside of me, man, that it just hits. It strikes that chord. Here's the line. You always do what you say you're going to do. Inside, my heart leaps with laughter. And all I say is just, amen, amen, amen. Take the greatest moment of any Super Bowl, the greatest moment of any NBA final, the greatest moment of any war in history, and that celebration is what I feel when I read those words. And I would think if you know him by faith, you feel the same way. I just want to praise him. I want to thank him. I want to worship him for being so gracious to me and for keeping his promise to me, even though I fail more times than I can count. Talk about turning your mourning into dancing. God, he's really good at that. But back to Abraham and Sarah. Verses 1 and 2 show God's faithfulness. The next two verses show us Abraham's response of faith. And it's important to see that as we've been going through Genesis, we see that Abraham is learning more and more to trust in God and his word. Because notice what he does here. He does exactly what God tells him to do when he told him to do it. Gee, he sounds like he's mimicking his father in heaven, doesn't he? He's doing what he's told to do when he's told to do it. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. God told him to do that, by the way, earlier. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, and look what the text says, as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now, uh, I tried to think about how, how you can understand waiting 25 to 30 years for a promise when you see not even a glimpse of it coming to, coming to pass. So that's like for 30 years just going on God's promise alone. When not, not only did you not see it happening, but everything that was happening in your life was kind of going against the possibility of this happening. Amen? So I thought about it, and this is the way I could think about it. Now, some of you younger folks, you're just not going to be with me. I'm sorry. But I thought, wigwams, tube socks, those stupid socks you wear now that I don't even call socks because they barely get up to my ankle. They don't even know what that's okay. That's what I said. I'm losing, so it don't matter. It don't matter. 
I'll put it to you this way, all right? Vinyl records. You know what those are because they're, they're back in, they're hip now. Vinyl records. Uh, um, Eight-track tapes. Cassette tapes. Now today, CDs are out of, right? They're, they're not even popular because we go MP3, man. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but imagine going through all of those fads and God seems silent. So you know, younger folks don't get this as much, but some of us older folks, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of water under the bridge. That's a lot of hair gone, as I mentioned last week. And so you're wondering why they were, they were laughing when it happened. Now maybe you get an idea. So Abraham must have looked back and regretted times in his life when instead of waiting patiently for God to do exactly what he said he was going to do, instead in impatience, he planned and schemed to take matters into his own hands and to do things his way. And we see in this very chapter how his impatience cost him and many others dearly. I don't know how far we're going to get um, this morning. But we will, we will see this. At this moment, in verses 6 and 7, we see the good laughter, the laughter of faith, the laughter of joyful faith. After 90, to a 90-year-old woman, a son is born. One preacher puts it this way, there was a lot of rejoicing in Tent City on that day. Because they lived in tents. So you can imagine people saying, wait a minute. Sarah had a son? And you can see them all gathering around, laughing, partying, in the holy way. Celebrating, like when the young son, the, the uh, prodigal son comes home, they kill the fat calf, that kind of celebration. Just so you know. No doubt that would have solidified Abraham's faith in God more and more as he saw the fruition of the promise. And so it would help when we get to chapter 22, which is next week, and we, or maybe the week after, the way we're going. And uh, when God tells him to take that only son, that fiend Lamente finally comes 30 years later, he goes, oh, and by the way, kill him. I want you to sacrifice him. But it explains how Abraham gets up early in the morning and just goes to do it. Because he's like, I didn't listen last time, I'm listening this time. Because God is faithful. Amen? Amen? So the first point of contact for New Testament believers today, when we look at Isaac, is we have to ask this. And I might not go too much further than this this morning. We'll pick it up next time. The question is this. Do we laugh with the son who was born of a virgin? Because Isaac here has a twofold application to us, and this morning we're going to see the first one, and that is, he is a type of Christ. The miraculous son. In the Old Testament, we had shadows of Christ. We had pictures, we had types that pointed ahead to the real Savior, to the one who would save Isaac and Abraham and all the rest of the children born to the Israelites, and then the rest of the nations who believe in him. Does, does, do our hearts this morning leap out of our chest when we hear these words from Isaiah 9, 6? For to us a child is born. 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. <laughs> this is so easy to preach. I just got to read it. What about this one? Luke 2, 10 and 11. One more, just for, just for our edification. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you news of what? Great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. <laughs> if you're a true son of Abraham, you're a true child of God, then you laugh with Jesus with great joy. You say, thank you, Lord. You did it. Just as you said. Preview for next week. It's like I primed. Like that, you know, like that lawnmower I had to get started this, this week. I had to prime it a number of times. Get it going. We will see, and I'm just going to introduce it for this time. There is an opposite type of laughter, and it's right in the text. It's the laughter of scornful unbelief. And I'm just going to preview verses 8 to 10. The child grew and was weaned, and on that day, the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast, another feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Brothers and sisters, there, will, there are those who in mocking God's people who have been born from above are mocking the one who died to, gave them, to give them that life. One quick reference. The Apostle Paul of all people on the road to Damascus on his way to, to, to agree to the killing of Christians sees the risen Christ and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my church? Is that what he says? He says, why do you persecute me? And when you read that text, you realize what Jesus is saying. What you do for the least of these, my brethren, you're doing that to me. And here in this text, Jesus is being mocked. Because the child born in the miraculous way, is being mocked by the child who was born in reliance upon what? The flesh. Works-oriented religion. Trying to earn your own way by your own religiosity, by keeping rules, by your own efforts. That's what's being contrasted here. And if you don't believe me, when you get home, take a look at Galatians 4. That's what Paul says. That's what these two different sons represent. So I want to close with this. It is no light thing to mock God's people. Because in doing so, you are showing yourself to not be one of them. And I will close with this. When I was a new believer, a couple months in the Lord, all those memories are so vivid in my life. I don't know why, but they always are. I guess it was when the foundation was built in my own life. But I remember sharing, there was an, an old friend, actually a friend's sister who uh, she always very kind to me. And uh, 
I was just out of joy sharing the gospel with her. I was like, oh, another one I could tell about Jesus. <laughs> and um, she was easy to tell about Jesus too because uh, she was a very kind, nice person. But I wanted to make sure she came to know Jesus. And she was with a friend. And the friend, she was smiling, and the, the look on her friend's face was disgust. And then she said to me, and she had her eyes like, you know, slit like that. She goes, you born-again Christians. You think you're so special, like you're the only ones that have the truth. What makes you, and I, I just remember her going off. But there's a few things that's pretty interesting to me. She didn't say, you Protestants. She didn't say, you Presbyterians. Notice what she said. You born-again Christians. Because she came from what kind of a background? A religious background. The irony of this text is that it's not so much the world that will mock us, and they will, but it's religious people. Who gave Paul the hardest time? his fellow religious Jews who sent, handed Jesus over to be crucified by the Romans. Religious people. Who in your own life, when you take a stand for Jesus and say, I am one of his, I've been born from above, you will be shocked at the ones that you expected to rejoice with you will be the ones that will go for your jugular. And so I'm going to close with this. I certainly hope no one in this room is laughing the laughter of, mocker, of, of the mocker. But as I look around, I would say the vast majority of us, our lesson would be, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Because it hated our Lord first. In this world, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome this world. Let's pray. Father, we can't thank you enough that you, through your miraculous power, the power of your Holy Spirit, have given us new life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and you made us alive with Christ. For it is by grace we've been saved. This is a, your gift, not by works, so none of us can boast. Lord, how we thank you that even when we are faithless in our worst hours, you are faith faithful. And you always do what you say you're going to do. Help us remember this this week, Lord. And help us to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.